0: You got your uh, Bible, open it up to Ecclesiastes chapter 7, and we're going to continue in this study uh, that we've been in, the search for meaning with Solomon, his biographical sketch. And uh, Rick, man, phenomenal job last week, brother. I was able to sit down Monday morning when I got back in town, and uh, I I love the way you handle five and six, man, dealing with fear, dealing with money. uh, What a brilliant communicator. I sat there and listened to Rick, man, and I felt like I need a dictionary with some of the words. Hey, come on. Come on. I mean, I told you, I was in the third of the class that made the upper two-thirds possible. He, he was in a different part of the class than I was. I can just go ahead and tell you that. But no, love listening to that guy teach, the realness and uh, the, just how relevant he is with his communication, brother. I love you, and I'm so glad that you're here, and you need to stay here for a few years. I'm not willing to lose you yet. I'll say that. But Ecclesiastes 7, we were talking about this, that uh, the first few chapters, Solomon basically lays out his struggle. Then you get into these middle chapters, and it's like these random sayings that he just kind of pens. And so, we find ourselves in chapter 7, and, and, and it's almost, Bruce, like Solomon had started writing this early in the morning. He was sipping coffee and just kind of pinning his journey. And by the time we pick him up, it's about eight thirty in the afternoon. The sun's going down. He's about three and a half glasses of wine into his ramblings, and you're like, "This dude's all over the map." And I'm like, "Yeah, I think he had a little muscadine in him right there." And uh, but it, it it's interesting. People go, "Not Solomon." study of his life, he had more vineyards than you can shake a stick at. And he talked about all of the wine and stuff. But, but some of these sayings that you find here in chapter 7 and 8 are just kind of random. But I want to kind of bring it together for you as we start to, to dive in to this here uh, today. So, chapter 7, verse 1, he starts by making this statement. He said, a good reputation is better than a fat bank account. A good reputation is better than a fat bank account. And here's what I think he's saying. Character matters more than cash. Your integrity is more important than your investments. You see, your character and your integrity is what gives you a good reputation. Integrity. I like what Oswald Chambers said, one of my favorite writers, my utmost for his highest. He said, integrity is unimpaired purity of the heart. Unimpaired, meaning it's not fragmented, it's consistent. A person with integrity is honest and real and authentic and transparent. And you start to look at a life of honesty and realness, and you go, there's something inside this dude that's attracted attractive. You you start to think that character and integrity matters more than anything else. Doesn't matter how much money you have. Doesn't matter what kind of uh, watches and and suits you can wear, what kind of clothes you uh, can wear, and uh, cars you can drive. The only thing that matters, he says, is, is character. And I started thinking through that like, yeah, a person who has incredible character and integrity, there's this openness and reliability and trustworthiness about their journey. You go, I can trust that right there. And, and, and you see, there's a lot of churches and a lot of people that build their life on sizzle and not on substance. And sizzle only lasts for so long. And when you start to live a life of substance, people look and go, that, that, that right there is credible. You you see, when people trust your character and trust your integrity, you have a lot more credibility. But when they don't trust your character and and your integrity, you have very little credibility. And and we live in a society where people love to uh, applaud the incredible. But we know over the long haul, what we really admire, Danny, is the credible. It's consistent. It's steady. I can count on that dude. I believe in him. And and, and that which is incredible usually has a short shelf life. It doesn't last long. It's kind of a, it's just a little flash in the pan there. It's just, bam, it just, it comes and goes. And Integrity. Uh, People with integrity have nothing to hide, nothing to fear. They, they, they're not hiding anything. They're not covering anything. They're living honest. Uh, people with integrity, they've already have this established value system against all of which other parts of life is going to be judged. It's kind of like Daniel, right? Chapter 1, verse 8, Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with whatever Nebuchadnezzar and the king was going to offer. He had this established value system that everything else was going to be judged against. Uh, integrity. uh, It determines your response before there's ever even a conflict. People that are walking with character and integrity and substance in their life, because God is centered, you go, even before there's a conflict, I think I can almost predict how they're going to respond to that. Uh, People with integrity will not allow their lips to violate their hearts. What they say is consistent with what's in here. and 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 when you start to look at it, Solomon goes, do, do, you, do you not realize that character matters more than cash? And we live in this culture that wants to elevate how much money you make and all this stuff. And and, and, and Solomon's like, maybe he has three, three and a half glasses in. Just, that's chasing after the wind. I had all this stuff. I had more money, more wealth, and more Junk than people could shake a stick at, and I've come to realize that it's only the character that matters. Then he makes this second observation that kind of ties with it in verse 1, where he says, your death date tells more than your birth date. And he kind of builds on that statement. You learn more at a funeral than you do at a feast. Sorrow is better than laughter. The mind of the wise is in the house of mourning, while the minds of fools are always in the house of pleasure. Listen to this. Listen, your birth date really tells nothing. You sit here and read it going, yeah, but we celebrate our birth dates. But it doesn't really say anything about you. The day I was born, I'm clueless of. I mean, they told me it was December 11th, 1962, and there's a piece of paper that documents it, and somebody stamped it. But, but when I die, my life will have spoken. And, and, and that's what Solomon is saying. When you die, the true narrative and story of your life, bam, has spoken to the world. Your death date matters more than your birth date because your death date, people know who you were. Birth date, they're guessing. A lot of families are still trying to figure out what they're going to name Junior at the birth date. But on your death date, if you get 60, 70, 80 years, what have you said? What what has been the story and narrative of your life? What was the character of your life? And I think that's what he's, he's building here. And and, and another observation I made was, address issues don't suppress issues. He said, it's better to go to a funeral home than a comedy club. It's better to go somewhere where people are crying and grieving over pain than it is where they're high-fiving over some funny joke. Do, Do what? Hedonistic pleasure seekers will always drift toward entertainment. But he's saying, wise people are okay sitting down and learning to struggle well and learning to grieve. Because when you go through pain and tragedy and sorrow in your life, if you suppress it and don't address it and confess it and deal with it, it's going to leak into everything else in your life. So, so, you've got this trauma and this pain, and he's like, it's better to go somewhere where people are pondering the brevity of life, and maybe it leads you to live with eternity as the backdrop, realizing you're not going to be here forever. It's better to hurt and grieve and feel what you feel than it is to sedate, medicate, and numb it only years later to be absolutely so jacked up and twisted. Make sense? And and there's so many people that will go through life. It's better to go to the house of mourning than the pleasure of fools. It's, It's better to go somewhere and process your pain and hurt and grieve together than it is to just sedate it and say, who cares? I think we've learned that from him because character is developed oftentimes in the dark room of negatives. You hear me? It's some of those negatives that we've gone through, those dark experiences that God uses to drive us to our knees and dependence on Him, that's when our character starts to take shape. Again, faith that has never been tested can't be trusted, and it's only when your faith is really tested do you start to really trust it. It's it's like working with Trevor. And he gets married, and he's only married for a short period of time. And the girl tells him, I don't want to be married. I want to be with my old boyfriend. And he's only been married for a month. And she bolts, and he hurts, and he cries, and he hurts, and he cries. But he presses into Jesus, and he presses into Jesus. And I can tell you that in that painful experience, he didn't run to medication. He ran to a deeper dedication in his surrender to Christ. And it was there that his character started to be developed more. And I look at that in people's lives. What do you run to? God is like, I want to develop your character. But you're going to have to learn to confess it and address it and not suppress it. And you've got to realize that one day- when he says, give me back my breath, your story is over, your narrative is spoken, and your legacy is going to be passed on. What do you say with your life? Yeah. So, so as long as we have breath, we've got an opportunity, Steve, to keep speaking a life of faith and a life of trust and a life of dependence. Life is a struggle. Pick it up in verse 15. There's a lot of random sayings here. What you see is not always all that there is. I've seen everything during my lifetime of utility. There is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness, a wicked man who prolongs his life in his wickedness. Here, here, here was Solomon's struggle. Character matters. Depending on God, I tried to do it. Excluding God, it doesn't work. Life is a struggle. Here was his struggle. I've seen people that really acknowledge God, trusted God, sought God, surrendered to God literally go through hell while I saw the wicked over here living lives of immoral pleasure seemed to be okay. Anybody ever struggle with that? It seems that when I was drinking like a guppy and doing whatever I wanted, I didn't have all this problem and pain in my life. And all of a sudden, I started living for God. And Solomon's like, why does the righteous suffer so? Oh, why does that happen? Was Billy Joel right that only the good die young, but yet people that seem not to care live forever? No, 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 no. You ever, you ever struggle with that? What, what, what's, the, what's the use? I mean, here I am living for God, and I'm broke. Here I am living for God, and stinking transmission went out. Here I am living for God, and I'm suffering from diabetes, or I'm suffering from cancer, or I'm... And Solomon struggled through that. Psalm chapter 73, read it, read it, read it, ponder it, ponder it. Psalm 73 is so powerful. But David says, man, when I started looking around at the wicked prospering, and the righteous suffering, and even dying young, he goes, I almost lost my footing. I mean, I started looking and it didn't make any sense. It was like God's justice system is out of whack. Something's wrong. He says in Psalm 73, until I went into the sanctuary of the Lord, until I got recalibrated and got back on the right lens of seeing things. And then I saw where the wicked will ultimately spend eternity, and I saw where the righteous will. And I saw that even in the midst of the struggle, the righteous had God. Almost, almost jacked it up until I got God's perspective again. I would highly encourage you to ponder Psalm 73, but life is a struggle, and what we see is not always all that there is. You can see people that present themselves and look so good. You don't know what addiction is going on underneath the surface. And you can see some people that look as broke as a joke and hurting and you don't know how free they are. Tony works with all these biker dudes, and they had a, a luncheon thing the other day, and I went over, and some of these guys are so fired up right now, Tony, for the gospel. But common Joe Blow would look at a biker dude going, that dude looks rough. Don't allow the external appearance to tell you what's happening inside their soul. Some of us, we come from this marinade, and Somebody walks in, and we make conclusions. Oh, did you see all the tats on that dude? Did you see them on Patrick? Man, them dudes with a lot of tats. you got to be careful around them. Why? Who told us that? When did that become the Gospel? I hadn't read that one in the Bible yet. But we have these stereotypes, and what we see, we think, is is what's happening. It's not. There's more to the story. And every person you meet, there might be something going on inside of them that God may be wanting to use you to encourage them or God may be wanting to use them to encourage you. Yeah. So, he struggled with that. Verse 16, what you appear to be is not even always what you are. He says, don't be too good or too wise. What you appear to be is not always even who you are. What are you saying? People have a tendency to desire to pose. We want to present ourselves as being okay, as having it together. And Solomon goes, no. Listen to people's statements. Hero statements, dig me statements. People will use statements at times to try to get attention. And all it screams is, I'm immature, I'm insecure, and I'm starving to be noticed. If you're motivated by praise, you'll be deflated by criticism. You've got to work through this. He goes, make sure that character is more important to you than anything else so that when people do see you, they see you and not something that you're trying to sell to the world. And you know we hate that, right? We hate it when we feel like we're inconsistent. I wasn't even honest with that one. we we'll get honest about it. But then we really struggle with people that we feel like put on a pretty face but won't get honest about themselves right kim you can't counsel and help anybody unless they get honest here here, he says in verse 18 basically fear god trust god seek god come on find your identity in christ find your worth and value in christ here's a third thought what you think is not always accurate now listen my narcissistic friends Just because I think it, it's not the gospel. And just because you think it, don't mean it's right. And some people love to tell you what they think. And they will speak in tones. They will raise their decibel to make sure you hear them. But like an old prophet seminary said, point is weak, speak loud. (laughs) And a lot of people have to yell to try to get a point across that's not true. You don't have to yell truth. I can look at you today and say, two plus two is four. I can take this little tablet and write right here, two plus two equals four and hold it up, and it's true. I don't have to yell it. And some people have to yell and make statements, these dig me statements, hero statements. Look at me, and Solomon goes... What you think is not always right. You're a subject to be jacked up at times as anybody else. And so we can study and we can learn and we can pursue. But just because we have a thought, unless it's based on the word of God and founded in scripture, he goes, you're not always right. Here's the next one. What you hear is not always the truth. I love this one right here. Verse 21 out of the message, he goes, don't eavesdrop on others because you may hear your servant curse you. (laughs) That would be cool if he just left it there. But then he says, for you know how often you've cursed others. Hey, Hey, don't eavesdrop on what others are saying because somebody close to you may be ripping you because you know how often you rip people? It's like, dang. What you, all, what you hear is not always the truth. It's like the girl who was the cheerleader, she refused to show up for football games because every time the team huddles, she thought they were talking about her. <laughs> you ever seen people like that? I, I've seen people like that. We could be in a conversation just going, hey, how you doing? And somebody goes, they're talking about me. If you see me in a conversation with somebody else and you think that I'm talking about you, don't be that arrogant. I don't like you that much. If I'm talking to this person, I'm talking to this person. And because I don't like triangulating, if I want to talk to you about something that I think you need to be talked about, I'll talk to you. But I'm not coming over here to create this huddle to dog you. But people feel that way. I know they're talking about me. Are you serious? I mean, that's the value of their life is dogging you? I don't even think that. If I see somebody talking, I'm like, what's up? I'm going to keep walking. If you're talking about me, I don't care. I, I really don't. I mean, you know, unless I need to get the pepper out of my teeth or the crusty off my nose or something, <laughs> then hook a brother up. You know? But, but I think it's so interesting that uh, we, we, we do, if we're not careful and Solomon goes, you know what I learned? Uh, eavesdrop a few times. Man. But I've dogged people. Quit dogging people. And then he kind of moves into a different transition, if you will, in this chapter. He goes, uh, I tested everything in my search for wisdom. I set out to be wise. It was far beyond me, so beyond me. Does anyone ever find it true wisdom, like the depth of all wisdom? I concentrated with all my might, studying and exploring and seeking wisdom, the meaning of life. And, and, And here's what I think you'll see him conclude. Uh, human knowledge has limits no matter who you go to it has limits and, and and you were a part rick of seminary and bible college i went through it human knowledge has limits i remember taking a class on eschatology oh yeah eschatology the study of end times and all this and breaking down Daniel, and breaking down Revelation, and people studying end times and all this eschatology. And they're like, are you pre-trip? Are you post-trip? Are you mid-trip? I'm like, dude, I'm a pan-trip. I haven't studied that one. It's going to pan out the way God wants it. Leave the arguments alone. But people would come and want to debate all this stuff. They're studying end times. When is Jesus coming back? I mean, I remember I got saved in October of 85, and there was a girl that wrote this book, 88 Reasons Why Jesus Is Coming Back in 1988. And man, people I remember started freaking out. Man, Jesus is coming back in September. I'm like, he said he didn't even know when he was coming back. I think that girl's been over there on the front porch with Solomon sipping too much wine when she wrote that. And you get these prophetic people that even now are saying, I know the return of Christ. When the son and—listen to me. So, I would sit there, and the conclusion is, human knowledge has limits. Oh, we're going to study the different dispensational times. Oh, really? And I would sit in these classes and study it, and you would hear people with these great arguments. But when I went home at night, I'm like, does it even really matter? And Solomon's like, man, I studied all this. I took apologetics, and I took eschatology, and I took astrology, and I took, and I took, and I took, and I pursued all this wisdom I could get, and I've come to the realization that, ah, oh, it's too deep for me. no, <laughs> no, 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 I'm not saying don't study. Study all you can. Study philosophy. Study apologetics. Study the character of God. Study the nature of God. Read Willard. read, Read Ortberg. Read Yancey. Read Piper. Study systematic theology. Study church history. I believe we should know as much as we can. But even after you've studied all you can, what you'll realize is the Word of God is so shallow that the babiest of Christian can't drown in it, but it's so deep that the most brilliant theologian can never touch bottom. Yeah. Study it, and I dove into it, and I still can't touch bottom. <laughs> but it's fun to reason and to study, but Solomon is like, man, I, I studied all this, and wisdom comes from god and james would later write if anybody likes wisdom let him ask of god who gives to all people generously and went without partiality really yes true wisdom comes from god and then he makes this next kind of random statement he goes i discovered i mean and he did discover <laughs> i discovered that a woman can be a bitter pill to swallow Full of seduct- seductive scheming and chains. Some translations use the word nets and snares. Whew. The wise escape her, but the undiscerning get caught. See, he bashing on women? No, he's talking about what he's discovered. Well, you know what he's saying? Listen, generations to come, sex can't satisfy. This dude had a thousand chicks. Did y'all study his life between the wives and the concubines and for him to come to the conclusion in the pursuit of a hedonistic sexual fantasy that it did not satisfy. And I've seen a lot of families just get shipwrecked. Listen to me. A lot of families get shipwrecked. I've seen the dude start checking it out. Mm Mm-hmm. 36, 24, 36, look at her and leave the wife of your youth and pursue it. Or some dude walks in with six-pack abs looking all buffed. And you're like, is that Chip or Dale? Come on. <laughs> Y'all know the truth. And I've seen people blow up their families in the pursuit. And it really starts with a lot of women in the emotional before it ever reaches the physical. But it goes back to Solomon going, "You know what I, you know what I've really learned?" <sighs> that, 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 that's not good. Here's what I really believe with all my heart. I do believe this. I don't have a verse to support it. But I believe once we get to heaven, and if I could ask Solomon, hey, if you had a mulligan in that area of women, I believe he would say, I would have been a one-woman man. Yeah. Yeah, I would have. Tim, God had already laid out in Deuteronomy seventeen seventeen. That the king should not multiply in wives lest his heart turn from God. See, I multiplied in wives and my heart turned from God. And I turned to the horizontal instead of the vertical with God to try to get my needs met. And I have never met one dude who, after multiple, multiple affairs and adultery in his life, looked and said, I'm satisfied. No, because you want to chase it one more time. It's just like the attic. And I think if we have a takeaway from Solomon buried right here in the middle of chapter 7, we would go listen to a man who had a thousand women in his life and said, it didn't happen. He closes that one by saying, you know what? True wisdom is rare. I've gone, I've talked to men and women I've been down to the pub, hung out with the boys, trying to find somebody wise. I've been down to the beauty shop, hanging out at the salon with the girls. Wisdom comes from God. Verse 29, I want to close with these two. Solomon reaches the conclusion of doing life, excluding God, apart from God, under the sun, without God, without submitting and surrendering to God. He concludes this, my biggest problem is me. Verse 29, God made men and women true and upright. God made men and women true and upright. We are the ones who made a mess of things. Don't, 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 check this out. We are the ones who have made a mess of things. God made us to walk with Him, God made us to enjoy Him. Back to the old Puritan movement that. The chief chief aim of man is to enjoy God, know God, glorify God forever. That's why you're here. That's why I'm here. Solomon goes, that's how God made us. But I am my biggest problem. I'm the one that jacked it up. I, I, I drifted away from God. And all of us walk in here today with a certain amount of baggage based on certain choices that we've made in the past that has collateral damage, not only in our lives, but those around us. And if we get gut level honest, we do life by picking up a mirror, saying I gotta look at me. If we want to continue to live in denial, we pick up the window and say let me look at everybody else on how they've screwed me up. But if we get gut level honest, we look into the mirror and we go, I've got to start working on me. It's between me and God. It's not what Everybody else has done it around my world. It's easy to look out the window and look at how other people have mistreated. It's hard to take just personal responsibility and say, it's me. It's me. So, the video you sent me the other day, I love watching Chandler. And I was watching through that, but, but it, it, it kind of made me think about this. Okay, think about this. We live in a culture. Don't miss this. We live in a culture where you can talk with people and people will tell you, oh, yeah, I know God. I I, I know God. Now, again, the two primary words in the New Testament for knowing God is the word oida and the word gnosko. The word oida, when it comes to knowing God, means to have this cognitive concept or perception of. There's so many people that I meet and they will say, oh, yeah, dude, I know God. But there's no fruit and evidence in their life that reveals that the Lordship and Master King Jesus Christ has reign and rule in their lives. So there's a lot of people go, I, I, I know. But a person who has moved to really knowing God, gnosko, has experienced God in an experiential way, and the essence of their lives now is defined by their relationship with God. Makes sense. Makes sense. So, when I say, I know God, Paul would use that in Philippians 3, he's talking about gnosko. He's talking about experiencing God in a personal, relational, friendship way daily. So, the problem is me. The problem is God is wanting me to move from this general, vague realm of oida to gnosko. Then, if I say I know God, then I've got to start to believe God. Do I really believe God? People say, I believe, believe. Believe, again, pistis in the Greek means to be persuaded to take action. So I could tell you, I believe that this platform would hold me, but sit back there in a chair and never get on it. But once I get on it, what I'm saying is, I believe it'll hold me because I'm on it. So, I've got gnosco experience with the platform now. I know it. I've experienced it. Not just Oida. Now, it's moved me to action. So, when God invites us to know Him, I want you to know me. I want you to walk with me. But I want you to trust me and enjoy me and believe that I'm good. I want to see your life persuaded to take action. Okay. And so, Chandler on this video used a great illustration, but it's like this, okay? About eight months ago, here on Highway 81 from the Kroger down to where we're at now at the church in this area, they changed the speed limit out there on the road. Didn't they, Yelon? They changed it from 55 to 45. Now, they didn't ask me if I thought they should change it. They just changed it. Here's the deal. I know they changed it. But I can come over here this morning, nobody's on the road, and I'm cruising. On a Sunday afternoon, but I'm cruising. Now, I'm not really sure what I was going this morning while I was on that road. But I know what the speed limit is. And if there's a stinking cop that gets behind me, I believe that speed limit's 45. I believe I'm going to keep my foot on that pedal so that I don't exceed 45. There's a lot of people that know, Oida. There's some people that really know Gnosko, and the people that know Gnosko will believe Patrick, when God started to ambush his heart about four years ago in Afghanistan, in those mountains, in that desert, when he came back, his whole countenance was different. He wasn't the jerk. He was the joyful dude that I'd never met before. Because the joy of the Lord became central, and he said, I'm going to honor God. And he's been walking with the Lord ever since. And we've got to do life with him. He moved from Oida to Gnosko to Pistis to say, I am now persuaded to take action. There's not salvation in Oida. The demons Oida, but they're going to spend eternity in hell. I know, Gnosko, I believe. Solomon says, you know what the problem was? Me. I wrote so much cool stuff, but the problem was me. I said I knew it, but I didn't implement it. When Solomon reaches that conclusion at the end of Ecclesiastes, he is moved into what we would say is Gnosko, persuaded to take action. Remember God in the days of your youth. Before evil days come and your body breaks down and you say, I don't even have any delight in it. I can't do anything. Remember God while you've got energy. Remember God while you can go out and serve Him. Remember God while you can really enjoy Him. Now, 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 one verse out of chapter eight and I'm done. Only one. So, verse 11, verse 11 basically says deal quickly, deal thoroughly with sin. When the sentence for a crime is not quickly carried out, the hearts of the people are filled to do wrong. Do what? About 20 plus years ago, when Rachel was four and Benji was two, we're studying through the scripture of the Old Testament. Come across verse 11 out of chapter 8, and it became one of those parenting principles for us. When the sentence for a crime is not quickly carried out, the heart of the child is going to be flooded to do wrong. Hey, if you do this, then here's the consequence. The child would rebel. There would be immediate consequences. Because we believe that when you delay, you deny. And so, when you create inside the heart that there is no consequences and ramifications for my behavior, then everything's cool. Now, I am so thankful we're under grace. I am so thankful that when I jack something up, God don't smoke me and just blow me up on the spot. Now, that's my theological side. Now, them dudes that overtook that inmate bus and killed those two officers, there's a part of me that still believes an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And so, when them cats got captured right outside of Murfreesboro, Tennessee, you don't bring them back here, feed them, and incarcerate them, and take them to trial, and let them have 14 appeals before you do something with them. They should have just brought them on back and fried them that day. That's the personal side. That's not pastoral. That's not the grace side. Amen. But there's a part of me that knows that when a sentence for a crime is not quickly carried out, the hearts of the people are filled to do wrong. There's a part of me that believes, even with the justice system, that we should have an express lane. That might hurt to practice a little bit, brother. I'm just telling you where I'm at. But I believe that principle is so strong when it comes to our walk with God. When God is slow, and when God is loving, and God is graceful, some people have concluded that when they rebel against God, and God doesn't kill them right there on the spot, that God is okaying the reckless behavior. If I am a gnosco Persuaded to action. When there's sin, whether it's thought, whether it's action, whether it's even an intent motive inside, that's jacked up. The quicker I confess it, the quicker I can get back into that peace with God and the joy of the Lord. When I suppress it, don't address it, and I numb and medicate it, and I present this poser, I'm wallowing in misery. Makes sense. When the sentence for a crime is not quickly carried out, the hearts of the people are filled to do wrong. So, when you jack something up before God and the Holy Spirit, let the peace of Christ rule, blows the whistle, it's like, yes, I deal with that. That's against who you are, God. That's not who I am in Christ. That's not consistent of being a child of the King. Yes. Same thing in parenting. Come here. You know I love you. But what you just did is jacked up. Yes. It's like when my dad, I came home hammered, give me the keys. Now, he wouldn't walk in with Jesus. I wish he would have been. Give me the keys. Grabs me by my throat and sticks me up against the wall. I brought you in this world. I can bring another one in. It looks just like you. I ain't got time for your junk. But he took the keys. You ain't driving that car that I gave you and helped you get. You're off the road for a while. So I started singing, it. I want to ride my bicycle. <laughs> <laughs> no. But when the sentence for a crime is not quickly carried out. And so there's certain things that happen, Aquarius, in parenting where I look and go, you're done for a while. Give me your phone. Well, I might get in trouble and you, you, you might need to reach me. You're not that valuable right now and my, my reasoning. Give me the stinking phone. I've been paying for it. We can either totally get rid of it or suspend it. But you're on the stinking phone so much it's driving me nuts. Give it here. That became a parenting principle for us. So we didn't let stuff slide. If we were out in public, hey, I got to tell you something. Yo, what's up? What you just did a while ago was jacked up. I'm not going to embarrass you in front of 100 people out here. But when you get home tonight, you're going to wear it. Okay? We're going to deal with that because we're not going to deny it. Does this make sense, Rick? Does this make sense in our spiritual stuff? Oh, God says, you got to deal with it. So what's the problem? It's me. I got to get right with God. I want God at the center of everything I'm doing. I've got to repent and press into Jesus. Yeah, yeah. But you've got to deal with sin quickly and thoroughly. Don't tolerate it and don't pacify it. Because when you start to enable and create that type of behavior, yeah, where do you start to go wrong? It's when I'm permitted to do this and I keep drifting, Blake. And before you know it, Felicia, you're somewhere you don't want to be, babe. Deal with it quickly. Deal with your sin today quickly. Get right with God now. You'll never regret it.